0: Today we're going to look at two men, two directions, and two endings. The word men is gender gender neutral here, so it really could be two people going two ways and ending up in two different places. The Psalms are sometimes referred to as the Psalter. The title in the Hebrew means praises or book of praises. It is the book of worship, and it is the hymn book of the ages. No other book of hymns has ever been used so long by so many people. The psalm to which we refer as Psalm number 1, Psalm 1, was chosen by God to introduce the whole book of psalms. It contains many, many precious and practical truths. We see two people here. Representing the godly and the ungodly, going in two different directions, and ending up in two different places. Let's take an opportunity here to mine this gold. We're going to do this together today, and we're going to diagram this psalm together. So take your Bible and turn to Psalm 1, and let's begin by reading the entire psalm. And whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together. Our Father... In heaven, we thank you again for your word, for giving us this word, knowing that it is life. It is food for the spirit. It is your direction. It is your manual for life to tell us how to live. And you've said that everything is in this book that we need for life and for godliness. I pray that you will speak to us through your word that you will give us insight and understanding, give us a desire, a hunger for your word, and an opportunity to then apply it, communicating with us constantly, with our eyes on you and our ears to you. Let us know what to do in light of what your word says. So speak to us now by the power of your Holy Spirit. We yield and submit this time to you I pray in the almighty name of the Lord Jesus, amen. The psalm opens with the word blessed, or sometimes we say blessed. Now that really is the first word in the King James Version. Perhaps you'll remember that our Lord's Sermon on the Mount also begins with the same word, blessed or blessed. Matthew 5, three, he says blessed, blessed, are the poor in spirit, for they shall see the kingdom of heaven." This is a very expressive word, and it could read, oh, the blessedness, oh, the blessedness. This New American Standard Bible begins with how blessed. Um, Some might translate it happy, or fortunate, or envied, to be envied, or enviable. But we could, it, the word also in the original language is a plural word. So we could say blessednesses. How, all oh, the blessednesses uh, that belong to a person who does not do certain things. The godly who do not do certain things. So all things are well with a person who is described here. The word blessed, excuse me, The word blessed here, we can learn that there's just a multiplicity of blessings that shall rest on those certain persons. Well, who are they? What does it tell us? Now, this person is negatively described in verse one. Oh, the blessednesses of the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked who does not stand in the path of sinners or who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. So what does that mean? What? How can we mind this? How can we unpack this and see what he's talking about? First of all, he says he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. If you're using a King James Bible. Well, walk refers to one's lifestyle. Um, counsel is advice. And so... What he says, first of all, is that the godly person does not make it a matter of lifestyle to confer with or to seek the counsel from the ungodly, the unsaved. Now, there are a lot of words here. <clears throat> I started playing with words, and the word wicked and unrighteous and ungodly, all of those mean the same thing. And for us today, they really mean a person who's not saved. Um... Unsaved people fit into that category. And in the Hebrew, I found out that they really are all the same word in the original language. So ungodly, unrighteous, wicked, all of those are used interchangeably from the same Hebrew word. And so this person, this blessed person, doesn't get counsel from them. He takes wiser counsel and he walks in the commandments of the Lord God. His lifestyle is governed by the Word of God. And instead of the reasonings and the wicked devices of the ungodly, he chooses to follow God's advice, God's counsel. He doesn't act according to an ungodly plan. Then he says he does not stand in the way of sinners. Well, to stand is to take on or maintain an attitude or a conviction. Uh, It is to be situated. Do you ever use that word, I need to get situated? Or did you hear somebody say, I need to get situated? Well, this person is situated. Uh, An ungodly person is situated in the path of sinners. That's his conviction, that's his attitude, that's where he's placed. Now sinners have certain ways. When we talk about ways, we talk about pretty much lifestyle. And the prophet Isaiah said, let the wicked forsake his way. What's he talking about? It's a way of life. Um, It's a way of sin. It's the road that one has taken. It's the journey that he has chosen to take. So it's a pathway that's designed in sin. And so this person, the godly person, the blessed person does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not maintain an attitude or uh, a position of sinfulness. So he does not, thirdly, he does not sit in the seat of the scornful. Sit is what? Is to be settled in. It's to make it to your lounge chair and be situated. Um, The seat is an attitude where one rests. It's where you've gotten to, you're comfortable there, and you're going to stay there. You're sitting down there. So the word scornful, um, and this uh, New American Standard Bible says scoffers, but that means mocking or contempt, uh, rejection toward another considered to be inferior or unworthy or undeserving of being noticed. What it is is scoffing, I think here, is scoffing against God, against his word. It's contempt toward God. It is rejecting God as if he is undeserving or unworthy of our notice. Now, notice the progression here from walk to stand, to sit. First of all, he has walked in it, then he has stood in it, and then he has just plain sat down in it. So there is the walk of the counsel of the ungodly, and then one takes on a lifestyle of sin. Uh, He becomes firm and fixed, and there's a self-hardening in ungodliness. You get comfortable with it. You get satisfied with it. And in their own opinions, they are right. They have decided that they are right because what? They're their own God. So they have decided that that's what's right. And when they take the seat of the scornful, they begin to instruct others to do likewise. Sometimes the word seat in scripture indicates A TEACHING POSITION, OR A POSITION OF INFLUENCE. AND SO, IT'S THE SEAT OF PERSONAL OPINIONS. IT'S THE SEAT uh, OF THE TRADITIONS OF MEN, ALL THE WHILE SETTING ASIDE, PUSHING ASIDE, HAVING CONTEMPT FOR, DISREGARDING THE WORD OF GOD AND THE counsel OF GOD. THE MAN IS BLESSED WHO DOES NOT DO THAT. THE MAN HAS a, A WHOLE multiplicity of blessednesses who does not do that. And so we're gonna see what he does do. What does the man do who is blessed? What does he not do? He does not stand in the path of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of scoffers. You know, he does not um, do those things. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but what does he do? Verse two begins with the word, but. And that is a word of contrast. So we immediately know here that there's something different. So here he describes for us the lifestyle of a righteous or godly person who is blessed. What does he say? Verse two, his delight is in the law of the Lord. He delights in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is a phrase for the precepts and instructions and the teachings of God. He delights in that. What we're talking about here is God's word. So we can say here that this blessed person, this person who has all these blessednesses, is a godly person because he is a saved person. The Holy Spirit's going to live in him. And so he delights in God's word. He says he delights in the law of the Lord and in God's law and in his law, he meditates day and night. He meditates in God's word. He meditates in God's precepts. He meditates in God's instructions and teachings and he does it all the time. It's just on his mind all the time. Now, the ungodly delight in their own counsel, in their own way, And they position themselves in their own opinions and what they think is right. And they encourage others to do the same. But the godly delight in God's word and in God's ways. The word meditate here is an interesting word. It presents an interesting picture. There's a parallel here with a cow chewing cud. Uh, A cow chews its food more than once. He will chew and swallow and it comes back and he will chew and swallow and it comes back and he will chew and swallow and it comes back again and again and again. Now in like manner, when we meditate, we consider God's word over and over again. Stays on our mind. We rethink it. We hold it up and look at all sides of it. We analyze it. So we read a verse. We maybe will memorize the verse, then we kind of dismiss the verse, but from time to time, it just comes back around again, comes to your mind again, and we consider it over and over and over. And that's one of the great values about having the word of God in your mind is that God can use it to come up in your mind at any given time. Maybe you've been in a situation before where you kind of didn't know what to do, Or maybe you were in a tight place and all of a sudden a scripture came to your mind. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. And He's using that word in your mind that has been planted there and He's reminding you, consider this. This is the path, walk you in it. So we weigh each word of God's word and we seek to apply it to our lives. Now, get this part God doesn't promise success just for reading or memorizing scripture. Think about that. Success doesn't come just from reading it or memorizing it. Let me show you something. Um, What he does is he promises success for anyone who will meditate on God's word day and night. Look with me for just a second at Joshua chapter one. Joshua chapter one and verse eight. God is speaking to Joshua. He says, "This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth." That means it's always going to be in your mouth. This book of the law will always be in your mouth, but you and you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. When when you meditate on God's Word. Flip over to a Psalm 119. This is a long one. Psalm 119, go on down to verse 97 for right now. The psalmist says, "'Oh, how I love thy law. "'It is my meditation all the day. "'Thy commandments make me wiser than my enemies. For they are ever mine, I have more insight than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed thy precepts. Go back then to Psalm 1, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatsoever he does, he prospers. When we are in need, God may bring verses to our minds. He may assure us and communicate with us, but God is going to speak to us through his word. And whenever God speaks to us It is always going to be in line with his word. He is never going to speak to us with something that is not in his word. This word is complete. It is full. It works. So verse 3 tells us the results of this godly lifestyle. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We don't usually compare ourselves to trees, do we? But this is a precious and interesting promise. Since Scripture is its own best commentary, we look to Scripture to see what Scripture means. Then uh, turn with me, if you will, for a moment to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, beginning in verse 7. Blessed, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. What fruit could that be? Let's go to Galatians chapter five. We're mining gold here, all right? So Galatians chapter five and verse 22 but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That fruit, that fruit, that is the fruit, sing, singular word fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. And so that's one kind of fruit. The other kind of fruit, um, while you're close by there, go into Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9. <coughs> and he says, um, verse 8, he says, For you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of light for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. So that fruit is going to be um, born in the life of a believer who meditates on God's word. And so he says, be like a tree, be like a tree that spreads its roots by the river. It's leaf shall be green, even in heat and drought. The Lord's trees are evergreens. The Lord's trees are evergreens that bear fruit. And so he says, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now prosper literally means to push forward, to push forward. It can mean to break out or to be good or to be profitable. It could also mean come to maturity. In other words, whatever it means, is going to accomplish something. Whatever he does is going to accomplish something. It's going to prosper. It's going to be profitable. So the first three verses give us a glimpse of the godly man. The next three verses then show us the contrast of the ungodly man. So get the first three verses in your mind. What does it say about him? How blessed, how blessed, oh, the blessednesses of one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the path of sinners, does not sit in the seat of the scoffers, but instead, He delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be firmly planted by streams of water. He's going to be secure. He's going to be fruitful, which yields its fruit in its season. He's always on schedule. He's always faithful and on schedule. And its leaf does not wither. There's an inexhaustible water supply. Why? Because I think this is talking about the river of life. And that comes from the Lord. Uh, Whatever he does, he's going to succeed in fruitfulness. He's going to prosper. It's going to push forward and take him to the next place. Um, Verse 4 says what? The ungodly are not like that. Not so the ungodly. The wicked are not so. They're not like the blessed, righteous one we've just studied. Um, Whatever good thing is said of the righteous is not so in the case of the unrighteous. They're opposites. They're different things. What are the ungodly like? What does he say? They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Chaff is that dry, scaly husk that's on seeds. Um, Threshing is the process of loosening that um, husk on the seed and um, separating the edible part of the grain from the chaff uh, to which it is attached. I don't know that this literally would be chaff and seed But I'm reminded of my dad, who learned from one of his uncles about roasting peanuts. Sometimes they would roast peanuts that had already been shelled, peanuts not in the shell. So you put them in there, and the husk on the peanut then begins to turn loose. And Daddy would take them in a pan and spread them out and take them outside and blow it and it would blow to the wind and all of the husk would blow away. So you've got all these wonderful husked peanuts that look like they came out of one of those planter's cans, only they were homemade. And so that's kind of, um, it's been separated. The peanut was separated from the, from the husk, the little shell that was on there. And then in the Bible, in the winnowing, they would toss the grain in the air and the wind would blow away the chaff. Why? Because it was worth nothing. Maybe today some people have come up with some kind of use for chaff, but in general, chaff is worthless. Uh, It's dead, and it's easily carried away, just and it's gone. Well, think about the comparison here between a fruitful evergreen tree and chaff. Not alike, are they? Verse 5 then begins with, therefore. So we always ask, what is the therefore? Therefore, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Who are the wicked? They're the ungodly. They're the unsaved. They're the unrighteous. All of those words can be synonyms. They shall not stand in the judgment. Uh, Those who stand in the way of sinners will not be able to stand in judgment. There are two places, you can stand in judgment by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, or you can uh, stand in the way of sinners and be judged. The ungodly will not be acquitted before God. When we stand before God at that judgment, at the great white throne judgment, there will be no acquittals. Everything will depend on whether one's name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If it's there, no if it's there, if your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you've already been dealt with, you're already in heaven. So when we get to the Great White Throne Judgment, the only ones that are left are the ones who have not received Jesus. They've not meditated on God's Word. They have gone their own way. So those who stand in the way of sinners will not be able to stand in judgment. They will not be acquitted. They will not be justified before the Lord. They will not be able to stand their ground. They will be like chaff, worthless, blown away. Nor, he says, will they stand in the, the King James says, in the congregation of the righteous. This New American Standard Bible says, they will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. This word congregation or assembly doesn't refer to local congregations uh, of local churches. It refers to the assembling of the righteous and the unrighteous at judgment. So once we get to that place, sinners, unsaved people can't stand. They can't live in heaven. Truth is, they wouldn't even like it because they have chosen the mindset and the lifestyle that they like. They'd be out of their element in heaven. And so the righteous are those who are in right standing with God through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, the wicked are not so. They are like chaff which the wind drives away useless, empty, worthless. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. They will be unstable, they're tossed about um, without a leg to stand on in judgment. They have nothing. Why? Verse six, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. There's that word way again. It's a lifestyle. It's the path you've chosen. It's where you've situated yourself, the way of the righteous. Literally, it says, the Lord is knowing the way of the righteous. It's present tense. He is constantly looking. If you are a saved person, you are counted as righteous by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is constantly looking at you. God is constantly watching you. He keeps the hairs on the heads of his children counted. Some uh, We think sometimes we know that he keeps the hairs of our heads. He numbers the hairs on our heads, I think is what it says. But in the original language, if you pick through those words, he's constantly keeping them counted. Now, he's paying attention, is he not? When you brush your hair in the morning or there's a hair on your shoulder... maybe your hair's coming out. He's keeping them counted. Why? Because he is knowing the way of the righteous. His eyes are on you. He is constantly recognizing and acquainted with the righteous. Those who belong to him. His own. Then he says, but, another but, but the way of the ungodly shall, what? Perish. The path, the road of the ungodly shall perish. Now, it's interesting again that he uses the word way here because not only shall the unrighteous perish themselves, but their way shall perish as well. In heaven there will be no way of the ungodly. It will not exist. The way will be have been done away with and unrighteous people will have been done away with, separated, moved out, because they don't belong in God's presence. Now, we can diagram the psalm. And I've kind of done this for you, but we can diagram it. And so we know, first of all, that there are two men, as the Bible says, or two persons, and one is blessed, and one is not blessed. One is righteous and one is not righteous. One is godly, one is not godly. So we start out with two persons. Well, the blessed doesn't walk the same way as the unblessed or the unrighteous. The blessed doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. But the ungodly does. So they're gonna separate right there. They're gonna do different things. They're going to think different ways. Uh, The blessed or godly man goes God's way. What does he do? He delights in God's word. He meditates on God's word. The ungodly goes man's way, goes his own way. He is in ungodly counsel, in ungodly actions, and in ungodly habits. He's chosen his own way. I think about that so many times because that really is the essence of sin. It's not whether I drink and smoke and chew so much as it is of what, what, where have I gone my own way? Where am I making choices that are opposed to the choices that God has given me as one of his children, as Lord of my life? I was talking with a young woman just a few uh, weeks back. She had on a Jesus band. And I said to her, Do you really believe that? And she said, Oh, yes. You know, but um, I was aware that there were some areas of the young woman's life where she was not living according to the Word of God. And I said to her, You know, right and wrong are not relative. Oh, yes, they are. No, they're not. Right and wrong is defined in God's Word as a standard. We can't change that because it's more comfortable to us. And so what do I do? When I come along with God's Word and I I look at that and I think, oh, no, that's not for today, then what have I done? I have rewritten God's Word. And when I rewrite God's Word, what have I done? I've gone my own way. Um, Isaiah. Um, I'm trying to remember the verse. Let me think just a minute. Isaiah, each has turned to his own way. Let me see. Our brain doesn't always go in the same direction at the same time. Each has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right there's where he says that is, that is the essence of sin. Each has turned to his own way. And the Lord takes that iniquity and puts it on Jesus. So my question for me, maybe your question for you, is where, where am I going my own way? Where am I making my own choices that are separate from, different from what God says? So the ungodly is going man's way. Now, godly people can do ungodly things. And that's why we need to meditate on God's Word and stay in that Word and keep it on our minds so that we're constantly renewing our minds and bringing our lives back into plumb with the Word of God by repentance and confession to the Lord God. So the godly man then is like what? Like a tree firmly planted by the river. I believe it's the river of life. He is like an evergreen tree that bringeth forth fruit. Whatever he does prospers. Whatever he does prospered. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is ever wasted. The way of the godly person or the righteous person or the saved person, that person's way is known by the Lord. His eyes are on you. But what? The ungodly gone in a different direction. He is like chaff, driven away by the wind, blown away. All different directions, no substance. And what does he say? He shall not, what is his end? He shall not withstand judgment. He will be outcast from the righteous. He perishes. Two people, two directions, and two endings. Which one are you? Which one are you? God has established a basic requirement for life, wisdom, and success. We learn God's thoughts and his ways from his word. Whenever God speaks of success in his word, it is related to the activity of proper meditation. It's always related to the activity of proper meditation on God's word meditating in scripture is the process of selecting a passage of scripture. It's good to memorize it, to memorize its words and thoughts, and weighing each word and then applying it to one's own life. So you can't just do maybe whole huge passages at one time. You're going to choose a passage. The Lord's going to lead you to a passage, and you're going to try to absorb that passage. And as you absorb it, it's going to kind of be natural that you're going to memorize it. You're going to remember the thoughts that are in it. And then those things are going to come back to you over and over. And so what happens, those things become realities in our lives because we're thinking about them. That's what's in our minds. That's what's going to control our behavior on the authority of God's word, we can be assured that our spiritual senses will become sharpened. And as we gaze into the mirror of God's word, we're going to be transformed more and more and more to be and to look like Jesus. That's what happens. God's word envelops us. You know, and we're going to be strong. We're going to, to take, take a stand. And God's going to bless that. And he's going to make us profitable in that. When one delights in something, he habitually thinks about it. Think about maybe when you met your spouse or think about something that you just, maybe your grandchildren. Your children, something that totally delights you, they just boop, 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 boop. They pop into your mind all the time. They're there. Why? Because you delight in them. And when we begin delighting in God's word, we're going to habitually think about it. My heart hurts when people just think Bible study's not important. Ooh, I don't wanna do that today, that's boring. Oh, please. Holy Spirit, move in us so that we are hungry for this word. And if we're not, there's a problem. And we need to ask the Lord what that problem is. I either need to ask him, am I saved? What have I got in my mind that keeps me from delighting in your word? Cause me, let your Holy Spirit cause me to hunger for your word. See, this is food for the spirit. You're not going to get food for the spirit any other place. You can't fill your spirit with reading books or junk food. You know, none of that's going to give you a healthy spirit. This is going to give you a healthy spirit. And so you're going to delight in it and you're going to think about it. And you know what? What we think about ultimately determines our behavior, and our destiny. You can look at people's lives and see what they think about. See what's important to them. We can look at our lives and see what is important to us. What am I spending most of my time thinking about? And if it's not a good thought, I need to replace that thought with God's Word so that I focus on it, I meditate on it. And if we will do that, if we as God's people can unite together and think on God's Word and search out God's Word and walk out God's Word, then we're going to be powerful tools in God's hand. And everything we do is going to prosper. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will do this in us, that you will give us a hunger for your word, that you will give us delight in your word and in who you are. You know, you've said in the Psalms, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Help us to understand and to put this first and to give it a priority in what we know, what we study, the way we spend our time and let us live for you and let us be the light that this dark world is waiting for. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.